what I would say to students now is tell me what you think is most interesting about something. Then that gives the task, I think, a bit more of a purpose. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Hi everyone, as you may have heard, this week we're switching it up a bit and are playing for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Today's episode is part two of that webinar, so if it sounds a bit like you're jumping into the middle of a conversation, well, it's because you are. And like we do for each podcast recording, we'll post any links or websites mentioned at IEW.com slash podcast. Enjoy! All right, moving on here. Let's go ahead and try one together. This book is one of our theme-based writing lesson books. It's written by one of our longtime reps who does conventions for us, Danielle Olander. She also teaches online classes. She helps us when we get a, a super busy time during customer service. She's on our team. Of, we call them the 911 team. The, the group will answer questions that require an experienced teacher. And she wrote this book with her oldest son, Nathaniel. So as far as I know, she's still sharing some of the royalties when we when we sell this book. He makes some money. It's pretty cool. I think he was 12 when they put it together. And he's a techie guy, and so he liked all things robotics. So this source text, and I'll zoom in and make it a little easier for you to read here, is on radar. And it is, as you can see, kind of a two-paragraph size source text. And our goal is to summarize, which would be choosing some of these facts, but not all of them. And so the idea of limiting. So if we look for the facts, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. There's probably 20 some facts, and what we want to do is we want to create an outline that contains seven of those available facts. And so we're going to scan and choose and then copy into the keyword outline the facts that we choose. Now, I do mention in the TWSS course, I do mention there's a couple ways to do this. One way is kind of the time-consuming, meticulous student way, generally preferred by girls, which is to read the whole thing, get a sense of it, and then read it again and highlight or underline or mark the interesting or important facts that you think you want to choose. Then go back and change those highlights or, or underlines or marks in the margin 
transfer those facts into the keyword outline. And then once you've got figured out the ones you want, just you know read it through one more time just so you don't forget anything, might miss something that's truly interesting or important. Another way to do this would be the way more preferred by boys for whom time is of the essence. The need to finish the project and be done with it, get on with the real business of fort making. So you could kind of do it like I remember doing it in school. See that whole idea where you read till you find a pretty good sentence? Copy the sentence and change a few words. Read till you find another pretty good sentence. Copy the sentence, change a few words. Read, copy, change, read, copy. It's not all that, not all that wrong or bad if you just reverse the process. Read till you find a pretty good sentence, something that looks interesting, important, or relevant. And then instead of copying the whole sentence, copy just a few words. And that will allow you to change whole sentences. And that's where the style techniques, of course, you know, come in and are very, very helpful. Yes, yeah, Stephanie, this has the word topic. Uh, Stephanie asked, do you actually have the students write or type topic after the Roman numeral one when creating the keyword outline? Not generally, I don't. That just happens to be there on some of the pre-printed papers that we use in the theme-based writing books. Kind of as a reminder, I don't, I don't think it matters whether you do or not. I probably wouldn't unless there was some problem. But for purposes of teaching and demonstration, the forms and slides we do have it there kind of as a reminder. It won't be on the outline I'm going to make here with you right now. So again, yeah, just explain it. I would just say only if it's something really confusing. I would hate to put it in and then have some kid write, the topic of this paragraph is, you know, some some kind of horrible thing like that. So they saw the word there, they might think they had to to write it into prose. I don't know. All right, so let's read this through once, and you can kind of mentally say, okay, which facts look like the interesting, important, or relevant ones, and then we'll go ahead and choose some of those, and you can all help me with this. So the idea is that we would do this kind of together. If we were in a class, I would solicit from you suggestions, you know, is this one of the most important, interesting, and relevant facts. So just read it all through. Radar, which stands for radio detection and ranging, uses radio waves called microwave radiation to detect objects. Radar consists of a transmitter, a receiver, and one or two antennae. When the waves that are emitted collide with a solid object, an echo returns. The receiver collects the echo. Radar operators determine where the objects are by calculating the time it takes for the echo to return. The radar device is connected to a computer that processes the signals. The signal processor sorts out other noise and interference while taking measurements on the location and speed of the object. Knowing the speed of sound, computers calculate the object's distance. In 1935, the British government petitioned Robert Watson Watt to create a death ray to defend their coast. <laughs> death ray. 
Wow. They feared a bombardment by the newly rebuilt German Air Force, the Luftwaffe. After determining the death ray wasn't feasible, Watson White instead perfected an improved use of radar, the chain home network. A form of radar had actually been invented several years before, but that, could, that form could only detect large, slow-moving objects, such as a destroyer or a battleship, and only within a six-mile radius. Most could not detect low-flying aircraft. The chain home network successfully warned of incoming air attacks during the Battle of Britain, 1939-1941. The Americans were also experimenting with radar. Long after the war, evidence was released that other countries had been developing similar capabilities. World War II provided the motivation to perfect radar technology. Okay, that's interesting about a death ray. I'm sure many of the boys would be sure to want to get that fact in there, even though it's probably not one of the more important or relevant ones. But Okay, so for topic then, I think we would just put you know pretty much the same thing. Radar equals radio detection and ranging. And that gives us three words. If we were to squeeze in a fourth, we could use microwave. Or we could go ahead and put on the next line microwave and radiation, which makes us wonder, microwave, what is that exactly? Don't we use that to heat our food? I guess there's all sorts of research that could be also done in conjunction with understanding what is microwave radiation. Or we just leave it at that and say, okay, we don't know a lot about it, but at least we know what it's called. Next fact that I kind of mentally flagged was this idea that when the waves are emitted, they collide and an echo returns, and the echo can calculate the distance by the time it takes for the echo. So that is kind of taking two or three sentences and compressing them into one fact. So I'm going to go ahead and put a little arrow down. When the microwaves collide, I've got collide with a comma, then solid. That's for solid object. I could put object. That would work. An echo comes back. And I'm drawing a little arrow to show that it comes back. And then the next fact would be that the time for the echo, or the time, allows us to calculate distance. So that time of the echo allows us to calculate distance. So I've got time, comma, calculate, comma, distance. All right. Looks like you need to know the speed of sound in order to calculate the distance. I don't know if that's worthy of writing it down. I think definitely, I mean, if I were doing it, I would think fascinating that the guy was trying to create a death ray but wasn't feasible. So I'm going to go ahead and throw that in there, 1935. That's free because it's a number. I'm going to put British. And then I've got this Robert Watson Watt. Now this is an area where a lot of people often do have a question. Is, does a proper noun, like that, you know, a proper name that's more than one word, 
how do you deal with that? Because honestly, you, you don't want to use two of your three keywords on Robert Watson Watt, but you do want to remember and get it correct. So my rule on proper nouns is that you can count them as a single word. So I'm going to have British, Robert Watson Watt, and then death. And unfortunately, death ray is two words, but having had a little bit of geometry in math, I know the symbol for array. So I'm going to put the geometric symbol, which is a starting point with an arrow going out. So I've got that. And then the death ray wasn't feasible, so I'm going to put feasible. Feasible with an I. Good. Okay, feasible. And the not sign around the feasible. And then improved the radar. Just put a R for radar. And this could detect air, airplanes. Don't think I'm going to have room for the chain home network thing, but I do like the idea that other countries had been working. So USA, comma, others working, and the last fact, World War II provided motivation to perfect. So perfect. And then I have the word clincher below, and that will remind me to follow that topic clincher rule when I get to that point. Okay, so there you have the handwritten outline, the way I would have done it on a whiteboard teaching this unit with a group of people. I would have probably tried a little more actively to solicit uh, suggestions from you or from the students. Okay, so then, of course, we write from the keyword outline, and it's pretty easy to go. All right, I think we're probably good on questions. If you do have any, go ahead and type them in to the Q&A box. Jill makes a very good point, which is you can have students try to retell content from the keyword outline there, and that's good as well. I do find that teaching with samples is so helpful. When you're trying to explain something to students, this is what you're supposed to do, there's really nothing better than another student's sample. And then you can point out, okay, this is what the student did, here's how the topic clincher falls, here's what's interesting and relevant. And so in the new teaching writing instruction style book, we put a whole lot more student samples at all different levels. That's probably one of the most significant improvements is a lot more student samples. And we also have the Magnum Opus magazine, so you can look for those samples as well. The difference between Unit 4 and Unit 6 is really just the number of source texts. In Unit 4 you have one, in Unit 6 you have more than one. Where otherwise, you know, we're doing very much the same thing, limiting details, organizing a paragraph, choosing uh, topics, and so it's pretty much a thing. So what to do? Determine the subject, find an appropriate source text, remember that length dictates the structure, so the certain 
number of facts per topic, the number of topics per assignment. And you are looking basically at one or two or three paragraphs. And then we get to the style rule, which is easy plus one. So when you are teaching the stylistic techniques going through the school year, you want to follow the basic principle. You only introduce a new style technique when what you have taught before has become easy, meaning the student can do it without much help and it doesn't sound too goofy. When it's easy, then and only then do you introduce a new technique. This little graphic, I think, is very helpful here. And one of the things I might mention also is that if you have one of our theme-based writing lesson books and it's providing for you a checklist that increases with each unit, that really is not something you have to obey so much as it's there as a suggested pace but if you have students who are finding the checklist too burdensome, saying things like, it's too hard, what they're really saying is, you taught me too much too quickly. It would be better to err on the side of going too slow than going too fast. So anything you buy from us, any set of lesson plans, teacher classroom supplements, theme-based, student writing intensive, anything, please understand that you, the teacher, the coach, the parent, the tutor, whatever your job is, you are in charge of that checklist. It is not in charge of you. And so if you need to slow it down, cross off a couple things, that is not a problem at all. If you've got hotshot students who say, well, what's the next thing? You want to add it in, you can do that too. But this particular diagram, I think, is helpful to understand the pace. The new techniques are dripped in as they become easy, and the pace may look something like that for an advanced student. You might be through all the dress-ups in by Unit 4, get through all the sentence openers by Unit 7 or 8, get into a couple of the decorations. You might also go a little bit slower for younger students, or perhaps even a little bit faster and get the whole checklist done you know, by the end of one year. The trick isn't to worry about it. The trick is to follow the basic rule, easy plus one. I'm seeing an interesting side conversation. Anne is asking, can you comment on adding similes? Kind of tricky. And what you're saying is, can you suggest the similes? Absolutely. You can suggest all the time because that's how else is he going to learn to do it? He, he may not ever learn to do it unless he's got several examples and practices to work with. And so that I think is just fine. I'll also mention that when you're dealing with facts in Unit 4, Unit 6, it's a little harder to come up with similes because you, you're you basically working with facts. You know, I'm thinking about this radar here. The best simile you could come up with 
would probably be closer to a, a truthful analogy that radar works somewhat like the echolocation used by certain sea mammals like dolphins. That's not really a simile, but I would, in a literary sense, but I would count it because it's making a comparison. I guess what else could you say? Uh, radar allows us to essentially see things by hearing them like a bat, I guess. That's another animal kingdom thing. It's not much of a simile. I'm not sure. I mean, this would be perfect. The death ray thing, I suppose you could say, you know, like a, you know, like a alien ship from outer space, you know, a death ray. But I wouldn't be terribly stressed about stylistic techniques like a simile in this particular type of writing. You'd be better to look for chances to do alliteration or even a quotation. You could teach how to take an excerpt out of the original source text and use it as a quotation. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too stressed about decorations, particularly in Unit 4 and 6. Suggested source options. We have a writing source packet. This is available to all of you who have activated your premium subscription to the website. It's got sources that are useful for all the units 1 and 2, unit 3, unit 4, uh, pictures for use in unit 5, and source multiple source sets for unit 6. And then really, after you're past 6, 7, 8, 9, you know, you're, you're on your own using sources, but that could be helpful. If you're using one of our theme-based lessons, the benefits, of course, are it's all laid out and covers most or all of the units depending on the level. It's very important that the teachers are well-versed in our system. If you're teaching in classroom, you may have these classroom supplements. Again, has lesson planning pretty much all done and especially help you get through that first year. I mean, ideally, you'd like to choose your own sources. The benefits there are that, you know, you can connect with the content from English, history, religion, science, whatever you're reading and talking about. You don't have to buy anything, assuming you've got a library or a library card. However, the problem is you, you do have to spend some time preparing the lessons. It's not there, turn the page, ready to go. So, you know, each has its advantage, disadvantage. Just a few thoughts, FAQs, Unit 4, page 54 in the seminar workbook. Some people want more than three, this should say words, not facts. It says, at this point, can students choose more than three? Yeah, it says facts right there, but it should say words. So, you know, yes, I will sometimes go to four, especially with middle or high school students. What I'm looking for is to be sure that people don't start writing whole sentences or phrases or clauses. As long as they're keeping the commas going, an occasional fourth word is all right. But you want to keep going with the, you know, the symbols, the abbreviations, the things that keep it keyword outline-y. 
a topic sentence may or may not be the first fact. Yeah, I mean, in the case of radar, that definition of that acronym makes an, a kind of obvious first fact. In fact, in, in, in a way, it would seem odd to not do that as the topic sentence. I do want to be sure and address any remaining questions. So we do have a weekly podcast. And so if you're not familiar with our podcast, I was delighted to discover that there were homeschoolers uh, and, and even one actual school teacher I met uh, in Manila last week that had been listening to the podcast. So they are getting around the world. And uh, I think they're pretty enjoyable uh, to do and to use. Mary's question. We are using the medieval-based writing and are working on two paragraphs with an introductory sentence and final clincher. Do you have any suggestions to keep those from being redundant to the topic and clinchers of the paragraph? You know, I don't, Mary. By nature, they're going to do that. That really was an innovation of Lori Verstegen. For her history-based writing lessons, that's the way she wanted to teach it to her students. So we let it go. I've never done that because I don't view the need to confuse the issue with introductory and concluding sentence. In a way, I can see how that is helping lead the student toward the idea of introductory and concluding paragraph, but it also is being a little bit confusing. So I'd say just do the best you can, but don't worry about it, or just ignore that part in the medieval-based writing lessons and and don't worry. It's, it's not the point of Unit 4, so I don't think it has any real, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Candace, yes, iTunes and all those other platforms, just go to iw.com slash podcast and you'll see that you can get it from various uh, podcasting platforms there. All right, so I'm going to be in Maryland. Whew, day after tomorrow, I'm back on an airplane. I feel like I've spent a lot of my life in airplanes. And then out to Florida for the Special Needs and Gifted Conference. There's also, by the way, if you are in Florida or even thinking of going, it's always nice to have an excuse to go to Orlando in November. They are having a college fair as well uh, during that special needs conference. It's a Friday night and Saturday, November 18th and 19th. So I'm looking forward to being there. And then I think I get a vacation from airplanes for a while. I'll be driving to Ozark to do some writing workshops in December and, of course, our clearance sale. So all those good dates. And next month, we will be talking about writing from pictures to give you a review and refinement on that. I don't see any more questions. It is 8.44. And so I believe we can wrap it up here. And I want to commend every one of you, you know, for taking the time to do this on a Monday night. I know you've got spouses and children and things you could be doing. So thank you so much for joining us. Your commitment to teaching Writing with structure and style to your students is is notable. I was just, uh, one of my favorite authors is Anthony Esselin. And he posted on Facebook today, or was it yesterday, uh, some first sentences in some of 
his students' college-level papers that he was grading. And they were, in some cases, painfully nonsensical. And he said, these aren't hand-picked. I just, these are just the ones, you know, in the pile in front of me now. And his commentary <laughs> at the end was, okay, these are the good students from our good schools who go to a good college. It's impossible to describe just how bad the writing is. They make semantic and grammatical errors for which there are no names. If you see a bird with a broken wing, you say, ah, there is a bird with a broken wing. Let us set and bandage the wing. That's easy. This is like seeing what used to be a bird flattened on the middle of the road, run over by a hundred cars and trucks, so you can hardly tell its head from its tail. <laughs> so poor Dr. Esselin dealing with college students' nonsensical statements from their papers he has to grade. He, I'm sure, will be very grateful for you out there working in advance to train your students with the good writing skills so that if they happen to end up at Providence College in Dr. Esselin's class, he can be much happier. So do not grow weary in doing good. And let's finish out if anyone's around to turn on the beautiful Respighi bumper music. Otherwise, I'm going to go have some dinner, and I hope you all have a great month until we meet again, wherever that will be. God bless you. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal here is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Hi everyone, as you may have heard, this week we're switching it up a bit and are playing for you the audio portion of one of our IEW webinars. Today's episode is part two of that webinar, so if it sounds a bit like you're jumping into the middle of a conversation, well, it's because you are. And like we do for each podcast recording, we'll post any links or websites mentioned at IEW.com slash podcast. Enjoy! Enjoy!